There were plenty of Liverpool fans who were aghast at the thought of Reds legend Rafa Benitez taking the Everton job. Ironically, it might be a defeat in the Merseyside derby that means that particular awkwardness comes to an end. I'm Kevin Hatchard and this is Football Only Better. awkward about our betting chief Marco Hare. Well, unless I ask him about pop culture. Uh, Mark, it's been quite the collapse for the Toffees in the last few weeks. Is that purely down to injuries, do you think? Uh, injuries have a big bearing on it, but uh, I think it's just a gradual regression as well, has, has played, played a part. Um, certainly there was a period between, what was it, four or five games where they were missing basically the, the spine of that side, the real key players, Yerry Mina, uh, Decore, Richarlison and Calvert-Lewin. And, and sure, Calvert-Lewin's absence is, is a massive blow considering he's a, a real focal point for that team. Uh, Decore, though, we saw his influence at the weekend against Brentford, um, absolutely fantastic with and without the ball, uh, made a really key uh, challenge there to, to avoid giving away a goal for Brentford. But uh, I thought Everton were okay at Brentford. Um, I know the uh, sort of game state played into their favour, but um, I didn't think they were that bad. Um, but yeah, I mean, the pressure was on from the start, wasn't it, with Benitez? Uh, the fans weren't happy anyway, so it was going to take something quite strong for, for him to sort of uh, get the fans on side. And it looked like they were starting that way, but injuries have certainly played a part. But even still, when you do watch them a lot of the time, it's quite dreary. Um, we know Benitez is much, well, he's capable of performing much better or getting his team's performance me much better but I'm just not sure he has had the the tools to work with uh, the signings in the summer were pretty average I know some of them have well they have played above expectations but even still uh, the football's not been fantastic and they're not scoring goals freely and sure Calvert-Lewin's absence is a massive blow for that but uh, even still you expect a, t- a team of the calibre of Everton to be sustaining themselves a bit better than they have been so far so yeah I mean it is the pressure is massively on now this midweek uh, if you certainly look at the, the betting odds I think we're going to touch on the game later in the show but uh, it looks like it should be a walkover win for Liverpool it's never that easy in the Merseyside derby um, <clears throat> So I wouldn't, uh, I wouldn't uh, count on Everton sort of collapsing in this match. Uh, they tend to put on a show. They've been in coming into the Merseyside derby in, in much, much sort of weaker ebbs in previous years and managed to sort of grind out a result or a nil-nil here and there. So, but yeah, it does feel like it's uh, judgment day for Benitez. And if it, things go wrong, uh, it's hard to see him sort of lasting there beyond the weekend. The data doctor is in. Jake Oscarthorpe from InfoGoal is with us, having given the XG robots their monthly tune-up. Jake Everton against Liverpool on Wednesday, as Mark quite right rightly alludes to there. The Reds are the 1.43 favourites. So kind of in line with what Mark was saying, really, about you know Liverpool being firm favourites. But do you agree with him that Everton can give Liverpool a tough game? I think they can, yeah. I'm not expecting this to be a complete blowout like we've seen Liverpool do to other teams recently. Thinking of Arsenal, Southampton, obviously 4-0. I don't think it'll be that kind of game because I think Benitez will have them organised enough to avoid such a heavy defeat. Um but I'm not expecting Everton to score. That's the big issue for them at the moment is creating chances and scoring goals. They've only, well, they've failed to score in four of the last seven games and across that set seven game run, they've averaged just 1.1 expected goal for per game. So a huge decrease on their opening six games where they were averaging 1.7 expected goals per game. So there has been a massive drop off in creativity. Obviously we can point to injuries to key players. Um, but, you know, Calvert-Lewin was missing for some of those first six games as well. Decore obviously has come back in, which will help them in an attacking standpoint as well as defensive. But I'm just struggling to see where they can really hurt Liverpool. There seems to be no fluidity in the way in which they're playing in attack. There's no consistency in the way in which they're creating chances. Um, and they're coming up against a Liverpool team who, you know, if, if you 
didn't know this, which you know you might not have. All eight of Liverpool's wins in the Premier League this season have come with a clean sheet. So all of their wins have been to nil, which I thought, given the amount of you know chances that they do regularly concede and. Um, you know, even at the weekends, Southampton created a fair few chances. Alisson had to play well to, to keep the clean sheet there. But um, yeah, th- what they're doing re- really is just, they're just juggernauts coming in terms of creating chances. They're just relentless at the top end of the pitch, um, averaging over 2.7 expected goals for per game. So I have no questions, no doubts that Liverpool will end up breaking Everton down. Um, for me, the big question is, will they keep a clean sheet? And I think the answer is yes. But we've seen in recent years, the Merseyside derby, there's been quite a few nil-nils um, at Goodison Park. So with that in mind and the, the sort of caginess in which these games can, you know, the route, that's the route that they can go down more often than not. Rather than backing Liverpool to win to nil, I'm going to back both teams to score no. Similar to what I did at the weekend, actually, in this game against Southampton. Uh, and it's a similar price, which is quite surprising because, as I've said, you've got a, a faltering Everton attack, um, a Liverpool defence that... You know, they do they do give up good chances occasionally, but not as often as people might think. And in the net, they've obviously got Alisson, who is one of the best goalkeepers in the Premier League. So both teams have scored no. It's around 2.12. Looks a, a standout price to me. I'd have had it closer to even money. Now, there's another massive game on Thursday. Manchester United take on Arsenal. Could be Ralph Rangnick's first game in charge of Manchester United. If you don't know who he is, by the way, this is a guy that is one of the kind of pioneers of the modern pressing game, the kind of Gagan pressing, counter pressing, if you like, the kind of style that Jurgen Klopp has used so well. He wasn't a mentor for Klopp or anything like that. Klopp was uh, actually an acolyte of a guy called Wolfgang Frank. But he has used this vertical style, very quick style, Rangnick. This is a guy that built up a club called Hoffenheim in Germany, which you'll have heard of. Uh, They came from nothing to be a team that uh, was top of the league at one stage under Rangnick in the Bundesliga. Built the RB Leipzig operation more or less from scratch. Uh, And so the uh, kind of slick operation you see nowadays is largely down to him. So somebody who not only has been a great influence on guys like Thomas Tuchel um, as a coach, but also very much an excellent football administrator. Uh, Rangnick's something of a coaching maverick. We have a tipping maverick in the shape of odds compiler Mark Stinchcombe, never short of an opinion. Stinch, United, the 2.02 favourites here. Is that too short? Seems too short. Yeah, I mean, I've kind of gone to this game not really taking into consideration Rangnick will be in charge. So I don't think it's been officially confirmed. No, it's yet. not been officially confirmed. It could be his first game in charge, but there's work permit issues, what have you. So we don't yeah. know yet. Yeah, I think even if he is confirmed before the Thursday, I think because the, the week has already begun, I don't think they'll change who takes charge of the game. Um, I think it'd be likely he'd be sort of confirmed and then he'll say his first game is whichever game is after the yeah, Arsenal yeah. match, essentially. Yeah, so I'm, I'm, I've gone into this thinking it, it, it's Carrick in charge and on, on that basis, um, I definitely can't be back in Man United at, at the price. You know, 10, 10 to 11 seems quite short to me. I mean, I don't really like either team. I don't really feel as though either team has got um, sort of a long-term football style. Uh, at the moment, but in saying that, I that I'm happy to take the the team that's uh, overpriced essentially. In what I think probably is should maybe be a bit closer to a fifty fifty clash, and then once you factor in home advantage, maybe Man United a bit closer to say six to five, something like that. 
Um, I mean, it's one win in eight against seven wins in 10. Um, so, you know, just simple to sort of look at the facts. I, I think, again, think tell, tells us a story itself. Um, you know, look at the league table, Arsenal are five points better off. And I just thought it was quite interesting as well regarding, um, you know, just another some sort of simple statistic in terms of clean sheets. You know, I'd have just kept three clean sheets in the last 22 games and it's none in the last 14. Like Old Trafford is not a ground that teams fear anymore at yeah. all. There's, there's a number of teams go there nowadays and arguably it it's harder for United, I think, to play at home because I think the pressure that they're under from the from the fans that are just itching to, you know, start a chant against the owners or, you know, potentially get on one of the two players' backs. I think some of them are a little bit mentally weak. And you look at Arsenal, in fact, since Ramsdale's come in, he's kept six clean sheets in his 10 games and he's drawn a lot of plaudits um, across, across the country, across the sort of goalkeeper union as well. Um, and Arsenal actually unbeaten in, in nine of their last 10 games as well. So, yeah, I just think United are, are too short at the moment and definitely you can continue to sort of, I think, take them on at this price and while Carrick's there, so maybe just one more game uh, and then sort of reassess uh, after Ranić takes over. I mean, I thought it was quite alarming that Carrick said after the game against Chelsea uh, where they conceded over 20 shots and only had three themselves, two of those gift-wrapped by uh, Chelsea players, that United were unlucky to lose. And, and it's like... <laughs> if you, Unlucky if he's not got, to win. Well, yeah, if he's got that thought process on, you know, on a game where the long, you know, that long term style of, of just sitting back and I mean, there wasn't anything going forward. You know, the only things that happened going forward were based on the opposition mistakes. You're not going to win games of football like that. Um, so if that's his thought process, I would imagine he probably thinks they got, you know, they got a good result, obviously, but. How far have they sunk that now that they're hanging on away to Chelsea, which was once, you know, a sort of top of the table league clash. So, yeah, I'm posing United. I'm also going to have a bet on um, on a, a lack of goals as well. I think the goal line is a bit is a bit is a bit too high. So on the sports book, uh, the line set 2.5 with overs uh, eight to eleven favourite. So I'm I'm going to take a chance on under 2.75 goals, uh, just a shades of odds on. Just because I'm, I'd say I'm not convinced by either team going forward, and I think in the in the games where they're expected to be the sort of protagonists, I don't think they really want to be. If you know what I mean, like I don't think either of them really know how to take a game to the opposition at the moment. I mean, if you take out United's five-one and four-one victories at the beginning of the season against Newcastle and Leeds, two teams that gave them ridiculously amount of, of space in behind eight. They, and they were able to capitalise. They've only scored 12 in 11 games and Arsenal have only scored 15 in, in their 13 games. And like the last sort of few meetings between the teams, the last five head-to-head have seen just seven goals. So again, I just think both teams are probably too scared to, to track each other. And they're defensively, I think they're rigid enough to keep keep the others the, at arm's length. So yeah, aside with Arsenal and, and a lack of goals. And two good goalkeepers on show as well. Mark, is that the way you see it? 
Very much so, yes. I've got the same bet written down here, uh, under two and three-quarter goals. Um, yeah, I mean, we've seen signs of what United are trying to do under Michael Carrick, uh, starting in Villarreal with a much more pragmatic performance and then with the team selection at Stamford Bridge, beefing up that midfield, looking to try and shore things up. And, you know, Stinch is absolutely right. Uh, they lost a shot count 24-3. Uh, two of their three shots came from Chelsea's errors. And if you look at the shots in the box count, it was 17-1. So whilst Chelsea didn't create like a catalogue of big chances, you know, ordinarily that pressure normally pays so they were probably quite fortunate to take a point from the game um, De Gea made a fantastic save early on as he did against Villarreal yeah, that's familiar <laughs> yeah exactly <laughs> the season so far so yeah I mean uh, this is an interesting game from United because it does it does mean uh, a change in mentality from what we've seen at Villarreal and Stamford Bridge they will be expected to now go on the front foot and I'm just not sure Arsenal are the kind of team at the moment under Arteta who want to engage in, in a kind of gun battle and an end-to-end match. So, you know, they arrived to, well, they arrive with a, a different mindset to, to what they've been through because they've been embarrassed by Man City and Liverpool away. They will not want that to happen again. I don't think they will. Um, but you look at their campaign so far, five of 13 games have gone overs. Away from home, it's only the games that Liverpool and City have gone over. Exclude those two games and their away fixtures are averaging 2.2 XG, uh, which is pretty low for Premier League standards. And that's going to Burnley, Brentford, Leicester and Brighton. Um, you know, hard the, the toughest fixtures on the schedule so there's definitely a focus on them being tighter on their travels uh, Stinch mentioned their defensive improvements and I think the back line is particularly settled but more importantly Thomas Partey in front of that defence has, has been massive really he's, he's been fit and playing pretty well um, but yeah I mentioned tightening up on the travels they're losing a lot in the final third as well though Surprisingly, to me at least, only Norwich have scored fewer goals than Arsenal. They've scored two, Arsenal have scored three away from home. They've failed to score in four of six away, and their current tally of, of three goals through their first six away games is the lowest they've ever recorded in the Premier League and two wow. of the three goals they scored away from home from set piece situations as well um, so they've created the fewest away big chances uh, and again only Norwich have generated a lower XG away figure so than Arsenal so yeah it's never the nicest watch when you're opposing goals in a game where there's quite a lot of quality attacking players on the field but I just think the the line is expecting United of Solskjaer against a more fluent Arsenal team and I think both teams would be quite happy for it to be a bit more cagey and, and compact so yeah, I'd be opposing the goal line too. Jake, I've seen you nodding away when the other two gents are talking about goals. Is that presumably the idea you have as well? Yeah, I'm trying to remember if if, if all three of us have ever put up the same bet before. Um, yes, that's happened. Has it? That has right, happened. Well, yes. Let's do Don't it worry again about that. because that's the same one I've got down under two point seven five. I think it's you know I've not really got too much to add. You know, Mark's highlighted the the. XG struggles of Arsenal away from home. Um, Stinch has spoken about United and their sort of dull tactics um, under Carrick and the way in which they set up in both games. Uh, so yeah, very little to add. It's literally, you know, I'm, I'm very, very surprised that the line is where it is, as the guys have already said. And you know, if even if we were talking about a Solskjaer United, their attacking process under Solskjaer, the last six games of his reign in the Premier League were, was declining anyway so they were creating fewer chances regularly um, and you know as Mark said with Arsenal away from home their expected goal difference is the second worst in the league away from home despite them picking up a few decent results here and there um, and that includes trips to Burnley and Brighton and Brentford um, so yeah very little to add other than that under 2.75 goals if, if all three of us are going for it I'm, I'm 
you know, I'm liking my chances in backing this one. Listeners should feel very confident if all three of you have said the same thing. And uh, if it doesn't go well, uh, then there's always more pundits. Don't worry. We'll have a new look show uh, later in the season. I'm only joking, of course. Uh, Tottenham avoided defeat at the weekend simply because they didn't play. But after losing to Mura in the Conference League, there are no guarantees. Uh, they face Brentford in North London with the Bees, the 5.6 outsiders here. Stinch. Firstly, what's an abysmal performance against Moura? Secondly, I guess in a way it could be a good thing for Spurs because Antonio Conte knows straight away what he's dealing with and, and who he's going to ship out in January, I imagine. Yeah, maybe if they do like have a surprising exit out of this new competition, it will give them a better chance of making the Champions League and getting back to where they want to be, essentially. I mean, if they... You know, they're expected to go quite far in that competition, one of the favourites to win it. So do they really want to be dealing with a Thursday, Sunday schedule? You know, but they should we... have the squad to deal with that. I always think if if clubs are... I, I get that completely. There is, a, there is an element of fatigue and travel, and I understand all that. But I always think if a club that's got pretensions to qualify for the Champions League is effectively moaning about the Conference League, that's loser talk. It's, it's a club that, that shouldn't really be involved in going for Europe. It drives me mad that you get clubs that fight all season to qualify. I know they didn't fight to qualify for the Conference League. I know that wasn't the plan. But they fight all season to qualify for Europe and then the next season just say, oh yeah, well, we're going to prioritise the league. Why? Drives yeah. me mad. I think I think it's one of the unfortunate things of modern football um, that the money involved in in success in the league by far outweighs um, a cup run. You know, you just have to look at Jurgen Klopp at Liverpool and and his lack of FA Cup and League Cup runs because the focus has been heavy on the other competitions. I mean, to be fair, you mentioned the squad, but. I haven't got even really gotten a replacement for Harry Kane up there. You know, if they were to want it to rest him, and we know he's been a little bit susceptible to injuries uh, in in his career, especially towards the the end of the season. So yeah, pro- potentially would would be. I mean, there would be a negative. There would be sort of a negative vibe, I would say, if they did go out for a week or two. But you know, get a couple of wins in the league, and everyone would be like, yeah, well, we know the long term picture under Conte is going to be absolutely fine. Yeah, I think I think we've 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 both kind of on a similar page here that we've been a little bit underwhelmed so far by Antonio Conte Spurs. Maybe not Antonio Conte Spurs. Maybe more Spurs. Not really his fault necessarily. Yeah, the, I think there's an element of that definitely that the players haven't quite yet adapted. I mean, it is only early days. Is only as I think this will be his fifth game in charge so far. Um, but I couldn't be back in Spurs at four to seven. I think it looks very, very short four to seven. I mean, they're eight to thirteen against Leeds, and Leeds were missing, you know, five or six first teamers, and they and struggled. Leeds battered them in the first half yeah. as well. Yeah, I mean, if Leeds had a more clinical finisher, then you could have been two, two or three up at half time, and then it's a, an awful long way back. I mean. Spurs uh, up until that uh, up until that second half, they hadn't actually managed a shot on target under Conte in the in the ninety minutes against Everton. All that all that first half, and they just don't look very fluid at the moment. I think that's the everybody can sort of see that with with their eyes. Um, and I think it's quite uh, noticeable that also Everton were missing uh, Decore, uh, Calvert Lewin, uh, Dinya. Um, so they were missing like the, the, you know 
a good proportion of their sort of first choice players. And again, you know, Spurs sort of huffed and puffed in, in that game as well. Um, you know, and they're coming up against a Brentford side who don't give up chances easily. So I think this is going to be a tough one for Tottenham to break down this, this Brentford defence. Um, Brentford are fifth for expected goals against. Uh, and they lost just one away game. And they've already won at fourth place West Ham and sixth place Wolves. So I don't think going away to Spurs is going to have any any uh, sort of... Um, they're going to be scared at all. I mean, they played Spurs away in the, the League Cup last season. I know it's a different competition, but you know, it was only a narrow defeat there. And Spurs are actually, it's kind of gone under the radar a little bit, but they're actually the joint second lowest scorers in the league with just 11 goals in 12 games. So I'm very happy to back Brentford plus one on the Asian handicap on the exchange around about 1.8. Still want Spurs to win because obviously we're on them for top four, but happily, you know, happy if it's just one nil, uh, would still get the money back. Um, Or if, you know, worst comes to worst and they were failed failed to not to win, still going to get paid out. Now, our fantastic multiples offer is running every day. Bet £20 on multiples or bet builders and receive a £5 free bet to use on multiples or bet builders. T's and C's apply. Stephen Gerrard has made a fantastic start to life at Aston Villa. Now he takes on the champions Manchester City, who are 1.37 to take the win. Villa, a hefty 9-1 to to take all three points. Jake, where's the value here? I think it's uh, in opposing goals again. Um, I think... Yeah, we've obviously had the United Right up killjoy you are this week. <laughs> well, you know, you asked me where the value is. Uh, and I think that the value is going against the goals. And um, under three on the Asian goal line is at 1.95. And that to me just stood out. So that basically means if there's three goals exactly, 2-1, 3-0, you get your money back. Um, and if there's one, two, zero goals, you get a winner. And, you know, Villa, as you said, they've had a flying start under Steven Gerrard. But it's bound to be unsustainable because the... They're sort of the chances they're creating, they're not going to put them away every week. Um, they've generated just 0.8 xG and 0.5 xG in the two games and managed to score four goals from that. So, kind of shows you that they've just sort of smashed and grabbed the way to two wins. Um, what I would say on the other side of that, though, is that defensively they have looked much better, a, a lot better than under Dean Smith. Stephen Gerrard's gone in there and done a really good job in tightening them up and um, you know, allowing just 0.5 and one expected goal in their two games so far, which is you know it's a it's a really good return that, and I think that Gerrard deserves some credit for for implementing that in such a short space of time. And um, you know, I think as I think it was Jason said on last week's pod about the way in which Gerrard's Rangers really did a good job of limiting the number of shots that they were facing, and and that's something that he's brought to Villa because in their two games they've only conceded 14 shots in total, which is a you know staggeringly low number. Um, so you know, not creating much going going forward, but defensively they're looking much better. But this is the ultimate test, isn't it, against the champions, against the best team in the league? Um, and you know, the city themselves are just rolling at the minute. They've they found a nice groove, just comfortable against West Ham. I know the scoreline looked a little bit close, but based on the xG, it was just extremely one sided, two point seven to zero point three. So again, City's defence just stood up exceptionally well against one of the best attacking teams in the league in West Ham um, and in fact over the course of the season so far no team's been better defensively based on expected goals across Europe's top five leagues than Manchester City um, may not come as a surprise because you know they, they do limit the number of chances they concede quite considerably 
But there what are is no it, points. Jake? Is it is it a combination of things? Is it the fact that a City have got the ball all the time, so it's very difficult to create a chance if you haven't got yep. the ball? <laughs> but also individuals, I guess. Ruben Diaz, of course, has been a really good signing. They've got a great goalkeeper. What is it? A combination of factors that makes them so defensively strong. Yeah, yeah, absolutely. It's a combination. I think it's more. It's, it's probably more the team set up and the way in which they play as opposed to the individuals because. They play such a high line that, you know, when they had poor individuals a few years ago, a simple mistake from one of them would result in a, in a big chance. We haven't seen a lot of that over the last two years at all. They've still they used to have out. Nicolas Otamendi at centre-back. Do you remember exactly. that? Yeah, yeah. He was the, the prime candidate for an error, wasn't he? Um, and, you know, I think Claudio Bravo was in there at one point. Which, he was. Yeah, it's just a huge upgrade now with Edison. But yeah, it, the system itself is is brilliant the way in which they allow players to fly forward but the way in which they took the fullbacks inside a little bit gave them a bit more um, solidity in that midfield area if there is a a quick break by the opponent Um, and yeah ultimately they they just they dominate the football similar to what we've seen with Chelsea but in a slightly different way Chelsea dominate the football with a back three and they push up either side of the flank sometimes both of them go Manchester City they go inside (laughs) the fullbacks come inside and almost become the creative midfielders at times um, you know, Jao Cancelo just decides to cut inside and just play outside the right foot, <laughs> crosses onto someone's foot. So, um, yeah, it, it's. I think it's a system. I think the way in which they set up, the way in which they play, dominating the possession obviously helps because if you've got the ball, then the other team can't really do much. And I think that we'll see a lot of that in this game on Wednesday. A lot of City possession. I think Villa will be happy to let them have the ball and just try and limit... Um, the number of high-quality chances that City can create, which I think they'll do by setting up in a low block, forcing City players wide if they're shooting, um, getting bodies on the line. I think that's something that we'll see a lot more of from Villa this uh, this season under Gerrard. Uh, and ultimately, it's a question of can Man City break Villa down? And if they can, how many times will they do it? And in my mind, I've got this down as a 2-0 Man City win. I think they'll get one. Villa might open up a little bit and, and City will get a second. But... Ultimately, under three goals for me just looks too big given the way in which Villa are defending, the way in which Man City are defending. Um, I think that we could be on for a, not a dull game, but a, a low scoring sort of easy Man City victory as we've come accustomed to. The Grinch has turned up early. Leeds United, <laughs> just above the Premier League drop zone. Uh, they've won just two of their 13 top flight matches so far. The Whites go to Crystal Palace in this Premier League midweek. Mark, it's a, it's a funny one, isn't it? Because Leeds have basically been hamstrung by lots of injury problems. You know, not just players but key players throughout the side yeah and they're going to continue again this midweek as well uh, Luke Hayling and Patrick Bamford will be missing so that puts a mo- massive emphasis again on Rafinha to, to create an, an influence in the final third because Jack Harrison's not really been producing and Bielsa seems to be persisting with Dan James playing as a kind of a false nine or the main forward which really doesn't suit, seem to suit his game either and he's been doing a few confusing things anyway by you know Calvin Phillips dropping back into defence which played pretty well against Spurs but didn't so uh, against Brighton there's sort of rumours now swirling around that he's unhappy with Bielsa and being moved away from his preferred position but yeah the first half against Brighton uh, was very very concerning very very poor Brighton really should have been ahead over over the course of 90 minutes they hit the woodwork three times Neil Mope made uh, some yeah Clangers really in front of goal when he really should have scored uh, Leeds were better in the second half but it was it was a a poor display overall uh, compared to the first 45 minutes we saw at Tottenham the week before it was it was disappointing really but um, yeah I mean 
Compare Leeds this season to last, uh, I just had a quick look. Um, through the first 13 games last season, they kept four clean sheets and scored three goals or more on four occasions. So far this season, they've only kept two clean sheets and they've only scored twice or more on two occasions. Um, so clearly things aren't working in both boxes. It's not just defence, it's also going forward. And as you say, those key personnel have certainly played a part. Uh, sometimes they've been missing five or six really key players well, from what was quite a settled team last year for Bielsa. So, yeah, I'm not really too keen on them this week against uh, Palace this midweek. Um, Patrick Vieira is very critical of his team against after the game against Villa. Said things didn't work in both boxes. Uh, conceded again from a set-piece situation. That's 10 of their 19 goals conceded coming from either corners or free kicks. But I think that's probably not an area of Leeds' real strength. They're not exactly renowned for their set-piece uh, uh, proficiency so yeah uh, I have had a generally good feeling about Palace so far this season despite sort of expecting them to really struggle this term They're in, that was only their third defeat of the season so far the other two came at Stamford Bridge and Anfield they've already won at the Etihad they've held West Ham and Arsenal away from home They've beaten Wolves, beaten Spurs, held Leicester and Brighton. So they've had a really tough schedule and they've performed really well. And in fact, going into this weekend, um, if you strip out the results and the data involving the runaway top three in the league, Palace would actually top the XG charts for ratio and supremacy. Same thing, obviously. But uh, yeah, they've basically been the best of the rest uh, when you exclude the top three. Um, they've been the most dominant team outside the top three, which is really quite uh, impressive, to be fair. Um, so yeah, I think Palace plus a quarter on the Asian handicap are 185. Stands out to me at Ellen Road. Uh, you get a half-stakes profit if the game ends in the draw, full-stakes if Palace win the match. In just the raw numbers, Palace have lost three games. Leeds have won just twice. Those wins came against Watford and Norwich. Leeds have kept two clean sheets, scored twice or more just twice. Palace have scored in 10 of the last 11 and scored twice or more in seven of those, including four or five away. Uh, only five sides have won the non-penalty expected goals battle more often than Crystal Palace and only four sides have won the same metric fewer times than Leeds. Uh, so the only pro the only issue I really have about Palace is no MacArthur in midfield. Uh, so you've probably got Milievic playing again there. Uh, I'm not sure he's Premier League standard these days. They do lose a bit there, but um, certainly I think they're much better than what they've displayed on Saturday and I think there'll be a reaction this midweek. Now, do you feel that an unfair moment has cost you a winning bet? Then you should let Dimitar Varbatov know. See what we've done there. He's called Dimitar Berbatov, but we've used VAR to call him Dimitar Varbatov. It's hilarious stuff. Uh, let Dimitar Varbatov know and you could get a refund. Send any examples to at Betfair on social media using the hashtag Varbatov and the former Spurs and Manchester United striker will make his ruling. So that is hashtag V-A-R-B-A-T-O-V. Lovely stuff. Time to add a bit of French glamour to proceedings as nous avons beaucoup de sélections pour les Jeux de Ligue 1. We have lots of tips from the games in Ligue 1. Uh, Mark, I will start with you. You have frustrating Monaco going to overperforming Angers. Absolutely. Uh, Angers, one of the big surprises in Ligue 1 this season. Uh, many Absolument seasons... is what you should have said, Mark, but that's OK. <laughs> Carry on. <laughs> <laughs> so uh, they've been really good. Um, so at the start of the season, there was big fears about them this season because they'd lost their head coach, Stefan Moulin, uh, who'd been there for 10 years, uh, the big driver in their rise and sort of con consolidation in Ligue 1. He left in the summer and they appointed uh, Gerard Baticla, um, who kind of failed as a head coach at Brest about 10 years ago and been working behind the scenes at Lyon since then. And uh, yeah, really worried about their, about their chances this season, but he's really pushed them on. Uh, they started with three wins from four, 
Um, things have tailed off a little bit there since then, but they have been very difficult to beat. They're still sitting in sixth. I've got them ranked in sixth in my sort of XG ratings and performance data. They've only lost three times so far this season. Two of those were against PSG and Nice, who are in the top three. And defensively, they've been very good as well. I'm not giving up a catalogue of, of big opportunities. Going forward, there's plenty of excitement. Sofiane Buffal, who Premier League fans will know, has been playing well. Angelo Fugini, uh, Azadim Unani, and uh, there's a youngster, Mohamed Al Show, really making it impact as well he's Um, really good fun isn't he he is. I think he's only 18 as well. So, yeah. you know, there's a, a lot of promise there and there's a lot of things to like about Angers. And I just think if their name wasn't Angers, they would not be trading at 3.35 against Monaco this midweek because, yeah, Monaco have been so frustrating, uh, underperforming. They've got such a, a good squad for Ligue 1 and a good coach, Nico Kovac, but he just can't seem to get any sort of consistency out of his team. I think earlier in the season, you could use the Champions League as an excuse, the disappointment of missing out. But, you know, we're in December now pretty much and performances haven't really picked up since the standards that they set at the back end of last season at least they've only won five times in the league four of those came against the bottom five they're winless in six against the top half and they're actually yet to play PSG or Ren, who are the current top two as well um, they've managed just two clean sheets all season and they're playing an Angers team who have scored in 14 of 15 so you know it doesn't make a doesn't require a mass degree to work out but they might need two goals to win this match and uh I'm not sure they're going to get it because they've only scored 11 of 20, or sorry, 11 of their 20 goals have actually come in those four wins against the bottom five. So they're actually averaging just 0.82 goals across the other 11 games against teams in third to 15th. In those 11 games, they've got a negative process and averaging just 1.28 XG per game as well. So they've also got this really frustrating penchant for giving away penalties as well. I think they've given away five now this season, which really isn't helping matters as well. Um, And I just think Angers, are streetwise enough to avoid defeat. And I think plus half a goal on the Asian handicap at 175 is too big. I think Angers, if the name was Nice, Ren, Lons, Lille, uh, they'd probably be trading a little bit shorter. They're unfashionable, but they're very difficult to beat too. Now, if you looked at the simply the scoreline and what happened in the game between Saint-Étienne and Paris Saint-Germain at the weekend, you would think, oh, Messi got a hat-trick of assists. They must have played really well against Saint-Étienne. Stinch, they were garbage in that game against Saint-Étienne, who are one of the worst teams, maybe the worst team in Liga, and they made them look a lot better than they are. And they play a Nice team that lost Mets somehow at the weekend, but is still pretty good. So it's quite an interesting game, this, I think. Yeah, I mean, PSG, they're not playing, they don't play as a team at all. Not, not anywhere near the, the level they, they could be getting at, but obviously they do have almost two quality players for every single position. So in in the French League, not to be like... Um, negative towards the French League or anything but the level of opposition they're up against they don't have to play well in order to win football matches they just have to be good in a few moments here and there it's remarkable they didn't win the title last season when you think about it isn't it I think it's more so the credit deserves to go to Lille and and Gautier like I I get what you're saying totally Um, but you know like the likes of Jose Font and Burak Yilmaz they're nearly 40 and they were able to, you know, score the goals at one end and keep them out at the other end. I think, yeah, the, the credit goes, goes to them really um, more than I'd say um, PSG. They, 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 I don't think they should take away the credit that, that Leo did basically. I think, I don't think there's any, um, anything strange to suggest that PSG are going to win the league this season though, you know, started with 13 wins out of 15. It would take a huge collapse. Um, and this is, 
that's obviously without uh, I think Messi's only scored once in Liga or twice in Liga so far um, it's yeah without, just once uh, I think yeah it's without Ramos at the back up until his first game at the weekend um, so <clears throat> they got their players coming back and you know Pochettino is a good manager at the end of the day so if he's given the time uh, you would it you would hope that he could get the best out of that lot but and you know, how much does how much does egos play a part in in, in it? Probably, probably, probably quite a bit, which is probably why they won't win the Champions League. Or I think arguably they might not even you know might even not make it past the next stage, given they're probably going to finish second. Or well, I think they actually are. Well, they are going to finish, finish second. second yeah. yeah. So they could draw. You know, could draw a Bayern. They could draw a Liverpool in the next stage. So could even get knocked out at that point. So yeah, I think it's just rinse and repeat, really, for what we've seen for PSG for the past. You know, four, five, six years now. I've got amazing players, but they don't often play as a team. And they're coming up, as you say, against a Nice team that are third in Liga, and, and you know, they they deserve to be third. Um, they they are a good team. They've got a lot of good young players. Um, they've been to a Lille team earlier in the season, for example, and beat them four nil. Um, and it is it's our it's our friend Gautier again. I just think um, PSG at two to five. I'm not going to suggest that's wrong because. As I said, they have got world-class players, but I think what's been a pattern, as I said, is they just—they don't—they're not playing well for long spells in a game, so they give the opposition opportunities. And I—I I think being able to back PSG to win and both teams to score at six to four—it just makes—it makes complete sense. They—they they are likely to outscore most other teams because they have got fantastic players. So then it's just. Are, are they going to keep a clean sheet? And I say just the way that the way they've been playing, I wouldn't I wouldn't fancy them to keep a clean sheet. It's just four in the league so far. Conceded 15 goals in 15 games, and these are only actually are actually second only to PSG for expected goals for. So it just shows how good Nice's attacking output has yeah. been. When there are some. Liga has been quite exciting in my opinion this season. You know, the likes of uh, Rennes, uh, Marseille. Uh, Leon, uh, of all, I mean, I think they're all are all good teams to watch going forward. So I think it's a lot of credit to to Nice that they are up where they are. Um, I really like uh, Amin Gori. Very, yeah. very oh, yeah. always, always look back at, uh, at Leon and like you know sold him for seven million euros. Like in this day and age, that's that's a shocking bit of business. Um, and the the odds here it's just three three to five, so one point six for both teams to score. So if you just kind of crudely multiply that by PSG win, which is not the correct way to price it up, but it just gives you a good idea of of what those odds are. It's five to four, so five to four to six to four. I think is a is a really real nice boost for for a PSG team that are world class in terms of the players they have available. They've won the last. 10 games at home in Liga and this bet has actually won in 10 of their 15 league matches this season so just rinse and repeat really uh, no Neymar, by the way, either. They think he's going to be out for about six weeks after he rolled his ankle against Saint-Étienne. Uh, Mark, let's, let's stick with Lever uh, of Saint-Étienne as they go to Stade Brestois. Uh, interesting game because Saint-Étienne, pretty desperate for the points. I thought they were pretty good against Paris. They were, but uh, I think a lot of teams have been pretty good against Paris this season and come up with nothing. Uh, obviously, uh, a red card going against them didn't help matters. Outrage. But, Outrage, yeah. that red card. 
It just kind of sums up St. Etienne's season, to be honest. Um, just been uh, an absolute mess off the field. Uh, Claude Powell still there and uh, still fighting to keep his role and his job. He's come out and said there's no money to spend in January, even if he is there. So, yeah, they're in a, a bit of a pickle at the moment. And it's, it's pretty sad, really, considering they're such an established club in, in the French League. Um, but, uh, yeah, I, I don't want to be with them at all this midweek against Brest, who... I think are only trending in the right direction. Uh, they started without, without a win in 11, but uh, the eye test and all the sort of reports and data indicators suggested they were nowhere near as bad as being the worst team in the league, as the league table suggested. And they'd brought in Mikhail de Zakarian, the head coach from Montpellier in the summer, who, in my opinion, is a real coup for, for a club like Brest, uh, plays football, uh, very much attack-minded, likes his team to get forward and score goals. And uh, there was a, a period of time where he looked like he might lose his job, but uh, they have been rewarded for his loyalty because they've won the last four games. Uh, they've absolutely made mincemeat of Lons at home, 4-0, uh, toppled Monaco as well, and then beat Lorient and Bordeaux away from home. They're now just four points off the top six and they're in mid-table and they've done it all playing the right way and, and sort of the players are sort of suggesting that, you know, it's going to take time for his ideas and process to to bear fruit and that now they feel like they're playing in the way that the manager wanted and they're getting those rewards. But they are the only team in France so far this season to have scored in all 15 of their games. Uh, they scored twice at home to PSG earlier in the season and I expect them to continue that run uh, against Saint-Étienne in midweek as well. Uh, I think in doing so, it gives them a great opportunity to win the match as well. Uh, but with French football, I think you always need to guard against the draw, particularly when Brest and Saint-Étienne are involved. 12 of their 30 combined games uh, have featured or have ended in the draw. So uh, I like the idea of backing Brest minus a quarter on the Asian handicap at evens. Uh, I think that really does appeal. Basically, you only lose half of your stake if the game does end as a draw. Uh, you get paid out as a winner if they win the match at even money. Um, so yeah, we talked about St. Etienne before the PSG game. Uh, terrible season off the field. Things aren't going well on it either. Um, their only two wins came against the current bottom four. They're bottom. They've kept one clean sheet. There's injury issues. There's suspension issues. Uh, they're averaging above two goals per game against, uh, which is obviously very, very poor, giving away the highest non-penalty expected goals figure in the division, conceding the most big chances in the league. Uh, they've lost the MPXG battle in 10 of 15 games. The market is basically suggesting that these two teams are ranked the same. Uh, basically, if this game was played on neutral territory, uh, it would be a pick'em, and I disagree with that. I think Brest are far superior and therefore happy to take them at evens with a quarter goal start. And finally, let's go to Italy. Jose Mourinho's Roma going to Bologna, Stin. Yeah, I'm really surprised the odds available here. So Roma are priced up as 6-5 to five at Bologna. And I think they should be much closer to evens, arguably odds on. Yeah, you look at the, If you look at Roma this season away from home, they were 8-11 to 11 at Genoa, 4-6 to six at Venezia, 1-2 to two at Cagliari and 1-2 at Salernitana. Yet they're six to five away at Bologna. I mean, it's a Bologna side that sit in a respectable ninth position in the table. They're just four points back on Roma, but I kind of feel, and it's kind of backed up with with what they've done. It, the reason they sit ninth is because they've just done their job and beaten the teams they're supposed to beat. Four of their six wins have come against the bottom six. But if you look at the record, when they come up against decent sides, it is quite bad. So they lost 3-0 against Napoli, 4-2 against Milan, 6-1 v Inter this season. You go to the back end of last season, they lost 4-1 v Juve, 5-0 v Atalanta. Uh, Inter and Roma both beat them in uh, in late March, early April as well. So not, not anything embarrassing about that. You know, they've kind of 
you know, league tables often, you know, lie and we have to look a bit deeper in that. But I think Bologna just do what they're expected to do. They beat teams that are worse than them and they lose to teams that are better than them, pretty much. Um, and this this Roma team actually maybe be surprising for people that aren't, aren't aware. But under Mourinho, they sit second in the league for expected goals for. So they create good quality chances on a regular basis. They sit first for shots. They're averaging nearly 18 shots per game, which is almost unheard of and, and for a Mourinho team. And they actually concede in the joint fewest as well. So if they're not conceding shots and they're taking a lot, I think you just want to, you want to get them on side if possible. And given the fact that they are six to five, that means you can back them on the Asian handicap minus a quarter around about evens. So if it finishes in a draw, you still get half your stake back. So just looks like a really, really uh, good bet. I think this, this midweeks on a Wednesday evening, Roma have scored at least two goals in seven of the last eight games away from home. And against Bologna, they're undefeated in 11 of the last 12 between the two sides. So don't think the trip will hold any problems for them in terms of being scared of this Mihailovic team. And yeah, I say just having that security of getting half your stake back if it does only finish in a draw, I think is a, is a great way in. It sounds like a good bet to me. Now it's time for the world famous podcast treble where each of the guys come up with a selection and our lovely traders wrap them up in a boosted treble. Such a famous feature that Brad Pitt once may or may not have said that the only reason he left Jennifer Aniston for Angelina Jolie was that Jolie was, in his words, bang up for an acca now and then. <laughs> Just for the lawyers, he didn't say that. He definitely didn't say that. Uh, I am going to start with Jake today. You get to go first. Okay, we'll start with Liverpool then to win the derby. Okay. Lovely stuff. Mark, what are we going for? Um, we are going to go for under 3.5 goals between Man United and Arsenal. Okay. And Stitch, take us home. I'm going to go for Chelsea away at Watford at 1-3. I think uh, keep thinking back to that really good stat Mark mentions with Chelsea hardly conceding any goals from open play opportunities. And you could further caveat by adding... Uh, haven't conceded except for an error given Jorginho. <laughs> Jorginho's assist. Yeah. Yes. Marvellous, marvellous. I've got a good feeling about that one, which is probably a bad thing. Uh, that's all we have time for on this special midweek edition of Football Only Better. Please do remember to gamble responsibly. Uh, this set of PL midweeks will be extensively covered by our team of uh, writers on betting.betfair.com. Uh, we've got all of the European leagues on there as well. Literally hundreds of articles posted on there every week. From Jake, from Mark, from Stinch and from me. It's goodbye for now.